0: Hello and welcome to the Glide TV Recap Season 2 where we are recapping all episodes of The Golden Girls. Today we are on season 1, episode 23, Blind Ambitions. This episode aired on March 29th of 1986. So what other interesting historical event historical events <laughs> have occurred on March 29th? Well, In 1798, the Republic of Switzerland is formed. In 1852, Ohio makes it illegal for both children under 18 and women to work for more than 10 hours per day. In 1871, the Royal Albert Hall is opened by Queen Victoria in London. In 1901, Edmund Barton is elected Prime Minister of Australia in Australia's first parliamentary election. In 1961, the 23rd amendment to the United States Constitution is ratified, allowing residents of Washington D.C. to vote in presidential elections. So yes, all foreign listeners, if you used your math skills, yes, approximately anyone who lived in the capital of the country could not vote for the country's leader for around 200 years or so. Uh very very absurd, but Welcome to the United States. We're fond of weird, weird absurdity when it comes to who can and cannot vote in presiden- presidential elections and who does and does not count as United States citizens. Uh, in 1971, uh, I apologize in advance for this pronunciation, Conrad von Bos becomes West Europe's first sexology professor. Okay. In 1971 as well, Chinese farmers discover the Terracotta Army near Xi'an. 8,000 clay warrior statues buried to guard the tomb of China's first emperor, Qin Shi Huang. In 1986, Beatles records go on sale for the first time in Russia. And our most recent event on March 29th of 2017 United Kingdom Prime Minister Theresa May sends a letter to the European Union invoking Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, formerly triggering Brexit. Which is Britain's exit from the European Union that um, has not occurred yet because Theresa May doesn't know what the world she's doing, but uh, that could be a discussion for a much different time uh, when we get into European politics for no reason. Okay. But nonetheless, uh, that occurred 2017, March 29th. So, what other interesting,
1: or what interesting plot events happen (laughs) in this episode? In this plot, or in this episode, the plot goes like this. We start out on the lanai. Dorothy is cooking out on the lanai, yeah. And ask Lily how she wants her steak, Uh, medium, Blanche is sitting on a chair that is next to a table with a tablecloth. And this table suspiciously resembles the big island table in the kitchen. Uh, Sophia has brought some food out from the kitchen. Sophia wonders why they are cooking outdoors. Dorothy says, it is a barbecue. All right, Sophia says, cooking outdoors. Does she sing it? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) She sings barbecue. I see. Sophia says cooking outside in Sicily is known as poverty. Uh, Rose brings more food out and places it on the table. Uh, We get a story from Blanche about the Darcy triplets. Blanche is hot and goes to get lemonade. Rose tells us a story of cooking outdoors when they were kids. But Lily actually tells most of the story. We see she keeps her eyes closed most all the time. We later learn that she is blind. Blanche comes out with the lemonade. And what I think is a mistake, when Blanche sets down this tray of lemonade, Lily reaches out for it and easily gets the edge of the tray on her first attempt. Uh, But she really shouldn't have known where the tray was. But Lily wants to pour a drink for Sophia. It has been six months since she lost her sight. But she is reaching for the handle of the lemonade jug perfectly. We learn that Dorothy did some teaching at a school for the blind. Rose does some bragging about Lily and her accomplishments. Dorothy throws out a reference to the X-15 at the Space and Aviation Museum, which is in reference to uh, Blanche's story about a pilot. Lily is going to watch St. Elsewhere on TV tonight, as that is her favorite Program. Sophia tells about their crummy TV. They get two channels at once. She thought Benson was having an affair with Miss L.A. Yes, and that could have actually happened because those two shows did air at the same time on different channels for a small portion of time. They cannot afford a new TV. They are repairing the roof and repaving the driveway. Sophia mentions the TV show Cosby. Lily mentions that she had a garage sale and made lots of money, so the girls decide to have a garage sale. In the living room now with Lily, Rose, and Dorothy, Dorothy finds a doll she had since she was 10 and starts describing it. Sophia enters from the kitchen and thinks Dorothy was talking about her and says she may not be Anne margaret but she is still her mother. Yeah, Blanche enters from her bedroom area Once again, it's all the way down that right bedroom hallway. Um, Yes, she is dressed in some outfit and wig. Boy, Lily really appears to be looking her over, I have to say. Blanche says she remembers it from the time George took her to Woodstock, which was in 1969 in New York. She listened to the music of Richie Havens. He was the first act to appear at uh, Woodstock and Bob Dylan, who never played at Woodstock, huh? Then making love in the mud, but actually she went to the movie, not the concert. Okay, not the festival. Lily gets up and walks around to put some candlesticks on a table, and Sophia comes in and asks who invited Gidget to the garage sale as she's looking at Blanche. A good laugh as Lily wants her sweater and walks across the room as the other girls are moving all these boxes out of her way as she walks across. Now we're in the kitchen. Lily. Lily is cooking. Believe it or not. Um, When I get back to it. Yes. Uh, Alrighty. Where am I? Oh, now in the kitchen. Lily is cooking on the stove. The food she is cooking catches fire. And I lose my place once again. Okay, here we go. She screams for Rose to help her and the, all the girls come in. Rose uses an extinguisher to put out the fire and, uh, yet she did not turn off the stove. Okay, they get on Lily for cooking without knowing their stove. Lily leaves and the other three girls discuss Lily and what they need to do and what they think Lily needs to do. In Rose's bedroom, Lily and Rose have a good talk. We learn about the dog that Rose got when she was six. Rose had the dog wear a bonnet and matching booties. We then get a long conversation between Rose and Lily. Lily wants Rose to come home with Lily and help her and she just can't make it by herself. The next scene is in the kitchen and Rose is telling Dorothy and Blanche that she thinks the best thing is for her to move back to Chicago with Lily and help her. Big discussion about what is best for Lily and Rose, etc. We get another Korea reference as Blanche says, As her and George were starting to get serious, he was being shipped off to Korea. Uh, Blanche got a job in a factory that made canteens. While Blanche was working on that assembly line, she met a young man named Andrew Beendorf. She may or may not have made love with him. Uh, I'm not sure. Sophia enters. Sophia gives it to Rose pretty straight. We learn Dorothy made Sophia get better after Sophia's stroke. We learn that Sophia really wants to have Rose's bedroom. The garage cell, Is it in the garage? No. Is it in the driveway? No. It is on the lanai. Wow. Sophia throws in a Baghdad reference when she and a patron is haggling over a glass jug. Sophia won't sell it, and Dorothy tells her that is no way to sell things. Sophia says try Neiman Marcus sometime and see if they treat you any better. A customer says he will give a dollar for the Elvis Presley salt and pepper shakers. Blanche thought she saw the king himself by the day she bought them at the Graceland gift shop. He was eating a giant chili cheeseburger and drinking a 36 ounce Dr. Pepper. Uh, It wasn't, it was an impersonator. Ah, uh, Blanche just can't sell these salt and pepper shakers. Dorothy doesn't understand it. They need to sell stuff. Somebody wants to buy a teddy bear. And Roe says it was a mistake that Mr. Longfellow was for sale. Dorothy once again exclaims they need to sell these items. Then somebody wants to buy a hockey stick. And Dorothy says, oh, $1,100 because it isn't an ordinary hockey stick. Dorothy just can't sell it. Why did they put all this stuff out to sell when they weren't going to sell? I don't know. They decide to buy a TV on time and that the garage sale is over. Uh, Rose and Lily talk on the couch. Rose tells Lily that she is not going back to Chicago and they discuss their thoughts. Lily leaves the couch. Next scene, we're in the living room and a guy is carrying out two or three bags of luggage. Apparently Rose is leaving and will be gone for a week. We find out that it has been two months since the garage sale and Rose is going to Chicago to visit Lily. After many attempts to leave, Rose is finally leaving and Dorothy tells her to go, and she has come back more times than Shirley McLean. Next scene, we see a plane landing. Rose is exiting the plane. Apparently, Rose was a bit of a pest on the flight. She needed a pillow from first class. She needed Dramamine and a few packs of smokehouse almonds. Well, Lily meets her in the airport lobby thingy out there where the air, uh, planes land. We see Lily has a help dog with her named Becky. And we learn that Lily went back to school and learned a lot at the blind school. All because Rose would not really help her completely. And the episode ends as Lily and Rose are leaving the airport area. And that is the episode.
0: Well... Uh, A few references thrown throughout this episode, of course. Uh, The X-15 airplane, uh, which is a hypersonic rocket-powered aircraft operated mostly by the United States Air Force and NASA as part of the X-Plane series of experimental aircraft. It set speed and altitude records in the 60s, reaching the edge of outer space and returning with valuable data Used an aircraft and spacecraft design. Uh so uh it was a rather uh you know, according to Wikipedia here, uh, the X fifteen, there was only ever three built uh from when it was introduced in September of nineteen fifty-nine to when the plane was disused in December of nineteen sixty-eight. Three? They made three. Okay. Apparently. I'm gonna try and find a manufacturing cost, but um they don't have that on here, I don't think. Uh okay. <laughs> I'm sure it was stupidly expensive. But yeah, I'll see if I can um, find that. So the X-15 uh was an airplane. Um St. Elsewhere uh is a television show, also a great album, uh, but that's not what they were referencing. Um, is a medical drama that ran on n b c from nineteen eighty two to eighty eight and is essentially uh Grey's anatomy uh basically it's basically the same thing uh but in the eighties um benson is a sitcom that was a spin off of soap uh where a uh, benson's the um butler and they You know, he does butlery things, whatnot. Yes. Um, (laughs) Miss Ellie uh, is a fictional character from Dallas. Uh, She apparently was an important part of the structure of the show. Uh, So, uh, The Cosby Show uh, was a sitcom, uh, which aired for eight years, from 84 to 92, uh and that is basically it. Uh Anne Margaret or Anne Margaret Olson uh is a Swedish American actress, singer, and dancer, best known for her acting roles in films such as Bye Bye Birdie, The Elvis Presley Vehicle, Viva Las Vegas, uh, The Cincinnati Kid, Carnal Knowledge, uh, The Who's Tommy uh, Grumpy Old Men, Grumpier Old Men, and All's Fair in Love. Has won. She has won five Golden Globes and nominated for two Oscars, two Grammys, a SAG Award, and six Emmys. And in 2010, won her first Emmy for her guest appearance on Law & Order SVU. Uh, she was initially billed as the female Elvis Presley. Uh, had a minor musical hit in 1961, a charting album in 64, a disco hit in 79. In tw- 2001, she recorded a critically acclaimed gospel album, and an album of Christmas songs from 2004 continues to be available. Okay. <laughs> Interesting note. <laughs> this album is still available for purchase. Okay, cool. Okay. Um so that's Anne Margaret. Uh, the Woodstock Movie, uh, which is a 1970 documentary of the Woodstock Festival. Uh, now, Entertainment Weekly called this film the benchmark of concert movies and one of the most entertaining documentaries ever made. Um, It was directed by Michael Wadley, um, who really did not do anything else of note other than this movie. (laughs) Um, Seven editors are credited, including Thelma Schoonmaker, Martin Scorsese, and Wadley himself. It was a great commercial and critical success, winning the Oscar for Best Documentary Feature. Schoonmaker was also nominated for the uh, Oscar for Best Editing, which is absurdly uncommon for a documentary to receive an editing award or really any award other than the documentary award Um, Dan Wallen and L.A. Johnson were also nominated for the Oscar for Best Sound Design. Uh, It was screened at the 1970 Cannes Festival but was not entered into main competition Uh, The 1970 theatrical release ran about 185 minutes Uh, So, just over three hours. Uh, Director's Cut was released in 1994, which runs 224 minutes. So, just over four hours. Just under. Yep. Uh, Under four hours. uh, Under four, right. My math is, as we know, (laughs) not great. Um, Now, both cuts do take uh, quite heavy liberties with the timeline of the festival, However, the opening and closing acts are the same, as they appeared on stage, Richie Havens opens, and Hendrix closes. Uh, In 1996, it was selected for preservation uh, in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. A expanded 40th anniversary edition of the film was released in June of 2009 in Blu-ray and DVD formats, featuring additional performances not before seen in the film and lengthened versions of existing performances featuring Credence Clearwater Revival, among others. Uh, So, that is the, uh, you know, that is the film. Uh, Now, you state that Bob Dylan uh, did not play at Woodstock. No. Uh, which, uh, I don't, which, well, actually, I think you, well, I'd have to look it up. You might be wrong, but I'd have to look it up here. Look
1: it up. I looked it up myself.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, cause I was figuring that would have been when he was with the band and they played at Woodstock, but. Um, apparently not Okay, anyway um, So they bring up Richie Havens Who was a singer-songwriter and guitarist uh, Who opened the 69 Woodstock Festival And that's really the only thing he's known for He didn't really do anything um, I mean, none of his records were remotely successful None of his songs were remote Well, one song was successful Yes um, His cover of the Beatles' Here Comes the Sun uh, was the only single that was remotely successful. Uh, he all, he did a lot of Beatles covers as singles, which is not a great um, idea, I don't think. But um, modern listeners might best know him uh, as, or at least I would best know him as he is. He appears uh, in the soundtrack to the Millennium Dome show of Peter Gabriel's o v o he appears on that um that's basically the only thing i can uh that I have ever heard of him uh bef- besides the whole uh he opened woodstock uh for some reason um then of course Bob Dylan, who I don't really think I need to explain too much um but nonetheless um uh, an American singer songwriter author and visual artist who's been a major figure in pop culture for around the last six decades. Much of his most celebrated work, of course, dates from the 1960s, when his songs, such as Blowing in the Wind and The Times They Are a-Changin', became anthems for the Civil Rights Movement and the anti-war movement. Uh, His lyrics incorporated a wide range of political, social, philosophical, and literary influences to fight existing conventions of pop music and appeal to the burgeoning counterculture, such as on his six-minute single, like a Rolling Stone. Following his self titled debut album in 1962, which mainly consisted of traditional folk songs, uh, he made his breakthrough as a songwriter with the release of the 63 album, The Freewheeling Bob Dylan, featuring Blown in the Wind and the thematically complex composition, A Hard Rains, A Gonna Fall. Uh, now, for many of these songs, he adapted the tunes and sometimes phraseology of older folk songs. Uh, He then went on to release the politically charged The Times, They Are a-Changin', and the more lyrically abstract and introspective Another Side of Bob Dylan in 1964. In 65 and 66, uh, he encountered controversy when he adopted the use of electrically amplified rock instrumentation, and in the space of 15 months, recorded three of the most important and influential rock records of the 60s. Bringing It All Back Home, Highway 61 Revisited, both released in 1965, and Blonde on Blonde released in 1966. Uh, And then we could go on and on if I want to, but that's for a different show at a different time.
1: Okay, but I will interject here. Is this the X-15? No, on the Wikipedia page for Woodstock, Okay. there's a section called the Declined Invitations or Missed Connections. Number Mm -hmm. one was Bob Dylan, in whose backyard the festival was held, was never in serious negotiation. Instead, Dylan signed in mid-July to play the Isle of Wight Festival of Music on August 31st. Mm. So Dylan set sail for England on Queen Elizabeth II on August 15th, which was the day the Woodstock Festival started. His son was injured by a cabin door, and the family disembarked. So he, um, they flew to England the following week, etc. Dylan had been unhappy about the number of hippies piling up outside his house in the nearby town of Woodstock. And it says here, but according to Google Maps, Woodstock, New York is about 58 miles from the festival site. So it was nowhere near Dylan's house. But mm-hmm. anyway, it says he was okay. not there. Okay. Okay. Um, So
0: they bring up Gidget, um, who's a fictional character, of course, created by author Frederick Conner, based on his teenage daughter, Kathy, in his 1957 novel, Gidget, the Little Girl with Big Ideas. Uh, The novel follows the adventures of a teenage girl and her surfing friends on the beach in Malibu. Uh, The book was later adapted into several films, television series, and television Movies, which is what I assume they're referencing more so than the this book, book here, sir. Yes. Um, now they bring up Baghdad, uh, which we could spend hours on as well. Um, so the the quick version of uh, of the history of Baghdad. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so the history of Baghdad roughly begins when the city of Baghdad was founded in the mid eighth century the Abbasid capital. Following the Abbasid victory of the Umayyad Caliphate. It replaced the Sassanid capital of Silesusia sitisafan some 35 kilometers to the southeast, which was mostly depopulated by the end of the 8th century. Baghdad was, of course, the center of the Arab Caliphate during the Golden Age of Islam in the 9th and 10th centuries, growing to be the largest city worldwide by the beginning of the 10th century. It began to decline in the Iranian intermezzo of the 9th to 11th centuries and was destroyed in the Mongolian invasion in 1258. The city was rebuilt and flourished under Ilkhadnid rule, but never rose to its former glory again. It was again sacked by Timur in 1401 and fell under Turkic rule. It was briefly taken by Savvid Persia in 1508 before following to the Ottoman Empire In 1534, now with the dissolution of the Ottoman Empire, Baghdad fell under the British mandate in 1920 and became the capital of the independent kingdom of Iraq in 1932, which converted to the Republic of Iraq in 1958. As the capital of the modern Republic of Iraq, Baghdad has a metropolitan area estimated at a population of roughly 7 million. Uh, divided into numerous neighborhoods in nine districts. It is the largest city in Iraq. It is the second largest city in the Arab world after Cairo, and the second largest city in Western Asia after Tehran. In recent history, Baghdad, of course, has been affected by the Iraqi Civil War, most notably by recurring bombings throughout the city. Uh, So that is the quick version of the history of Baghdad. Uh, Neiman Marcus is a American chain of luxury department stores owned by the Neiman Marcus Group, headquartered in Dallas, uh, which also owns the Bergdorf Goodman department stores. Uh, though the company is also currently owned by the Toronto-based Canada Pension Plan and Investment Board and the Los Angeles-based Aries Management. And Neiman Marcus was founded... Uh, pretty much in 1907 and then expanded throughout uh, to its current place as a place for very rich people to go buy stuff. Um, Bobby Hull uh, is a Canadian hockey player, uh, widely regarded as one of the greatest players of all time in the NHL's history. He won the Hart Trophy twice, the Art Ross three times, and won one Stanley Cup with the Chicago Blackhawks in 1961. He also led the Winnipeg Jets and the World Hockey Association to the Avco Cup, which is their championship, in 76 and 78. He led the NHL in goals scored seven times, the most of any player in history, though that was recently tied by Alexander Ovechkin last season in seventeen eighteen. 18 so... Uh, That could be broken this year. I don't know how Ovechkin's doing right now. But nonetheless, uh, he also led the World Hockey Association in goals one time while being the World Hockey Association's most valuable player twice. He was elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame in 83, the Ontario Sports Hall of Fame in 97, and received the Wayne Gretzky International Award in 2003. Uh, So, that is... Bobby Hull. Now, I would also like to reference here for my research. um, Now, Dorothy, uh, this hockey stick that she's selling here, uh, she brings up that this was game used by Bobby Hull, uh, and so therefore she tries to sell it for what, like? $1,100. $1,100. So, from my research, I found on eBay and other hockey memorabilia websites An autographed Bobby Hole hockey stick sells for around 400 bucks right now uh, for non-game used ones. So if this is an authentic game used Bobby Hole hockey stick, I could easily guess it would sell for well over $1,100 today. So, but I cannot find any uh, proof of that anywhere, but I would assume it'd be a fair, fair estimate for a value of a bobby hole, authentically game-used hockey stick.
1: Yeah, today. You can somehow, yeah. But in 86, it may not have been quite that high.
0: Maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) It's hard to say. Um, Shirley MacLaine, uh, who was an actress, singer, dancer, activist, and author, uh, who also apparently won an Oscar, uh, was nominated for six of them. Uh, as well as a seventh for Best Documentary Feature, uh, Best Actress nominations for Some Came Running, The Apartment, and Irma LaDouche, as well as The Turning Point, before winning Best Actress for Terms of Endearment. She twice won the BAFTA Award for Best Foreign Actress for Ask Any Girl in The Apartment, won an Emmy for Outstanding Comedy, Variety, or Music Special the 1976 TV special Gypsy in My Soul. Uh she also won 5 competitive Golden Globe awards and received the Golden Globe Cecil B. DeMille Award at the 98 ceremony. Uh so those are all of the cultural references I have, two note two fashion notes. Uh Blanche's wig, that one part, <laughs> the wig is a disaster. Yeah. Um, and then at the garage sale, Dorothy is wearing this yellow striped top that is absolutely hideous. Just absolutely hideous. They have some great outfits. Um, some, so our side characters. Uh, Lily, Rose's sister, uh, most known for her roles in films such as Gremlins, The Parent Trap, the Lindsay Lohan one. Uh, and Fair Game also played Flo on the television show Alice.
1: Yes. Alice uh, a spinoff.
0: Flo. Ah, okay. Well, that's not in, her, in the top four known four credits on IMDb. Ah, so. Okay. Um, I tried to find... I could not find a credit for Becky the Dog, so I can't tell you what else Becky the Dog <laughs> okay. was in. Okay. I could not find uh, any credits for 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 them um, the hockey stick kid uh, is played by Stuart Fratkin uh, who is most known for his roles in the Roland Emmerich disaster of a movie known as Godzilla uh, he's also in friends for an episode uh, and a movie called pre hysteria as well as a show called They Came From Outer Space. Huh. His most recent credit, uh, he was in a movie called Pit Fire of Hell in 2016. Um, so that's the guy who was trying to buy the hockey stick. Uh, the Elvis Salt and Pepper Shaker guy uh, was played by Bill Grattan, uh, most known for his roles in films such as The Green Mile, Blast from the Past, Jagged Edge, and The Majestic. Uh, so that is um, that's him. Um, and the flight attendant that Rose talks to is played by Donna Labrie, uh, most known for her appearances in television shows such as Hill Street Blues, Falcon Crest, Matlock, and then this appearance is the fourth one. Um, she's also in Roseanne uh, for an episode. We'll go with that as the fourth one. Okay. <laughs> um, so, I know, I guess you you already kind of answered my question. So, um, Andrew Beendorf, are we counting him as a sex partner or not here for Blanche?
1: I don't know.
0: I couldn't figure it out either. What did I, I had, say? I have it marked down as a question mark. I wasn't sure.
1: Uh uh what did I say about Andrew Beendorf? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh do, 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 do. Do, do. Let me find. Okay.
0: Uh two new continuity notes. Uh, Rose has a sister named Lily, who's okay. blind. And George was in the Korean War as well. Um I also, I thought this one was plausible. I thought uh, Blanche and George's Korean bit, I thought this one was was plausible, unlike uh, Dorothy's with Stan. So, Beendorf, what's our conclusion here?
1: I am going to say because we don't know for sure. That we go no? That we have to say no. Okay, then. She met a young man. Okay. And she may or may not. So I would say we can't really count that. So no new sex partners in this episode. So our
0: tally stands Blanche 9, Dorothy 4, Rose 4, Sophia 1. We already did continuity. So I have a few additional notes. The actress that plays Lily, she makes a very strong choice here. She goes for like Western Britain accent like it's a really strong British accent even though her character's from Minnesota. Okay. So I did not understand that choice.
1: Huh, I didn't pick up on that.
0: You did not you did not pick up on her like British accent she adopts.
1: No. Oh okay. <laughs> I'm not that good at accents. Oh okay.
0: So. Um with that fire, how did that fire happen? Uh, it's an electric cooktop, which means grease fires, unless you set it intentionally, are very hard to have happen. So, that's really the like the electric cooktop. That's the like the benefit to it over a gas one is you're not going to set your food on fire without doing it intentionally. I do. And even then, it's pretty hard. So, I don't know how the fire started because that was an electric cooktop.
1: Yeah. I mean, it started in the pan itself. Yeah.
0: Like you would have to like pour gasoline and flick a lighter in there or something.
1: Yeah, so it, to
0: make that happen on an electric stove. It should like, not start no. in the
1: pan itself anyway. But yeah, it, it just uh, for the show, I suppose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then why Rose put it out without turning off the stove? Well, I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure about that part either. No. You shouldn't be putting that out without turning off the stove, but she never did. Uh, there were some weird things in the show.
0: Yeah, and then my last note, um, a puppy wearing a bonnet and matching booties. Uh, can we see this, please? I need to see this. <laughs> that would be adorable. I need to see this, please.
1: Yeah, I don't think we're going to see it. Oh. It'd be yes. really nice. We should. Huh. Well, there is a good really good pdf out there on the internet from the nasa government site okay all about the x-15 airplane uh-huh way back from november 1966 even and it um, yeah it's pretty interesting to read uh the best i can come up with though for this is that in 1966 i mean it
0: was millions of dollars i'm sure uh,
1: the, Total initial program cost was $162 million. Yeah, uh uh-huh. I mean, just the airframe for the plane, or whatever they want to call it, Mm -hmm. was $73 million. The engine was $53 million. And they wanted 10 engines. (laughs) So... But I read somewhere now, I don't know the exact amount, but it flew at over 4,000 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. So it could go around the entire globe in, like, less than seven hours so. Yeah. Around seven hours. Yeah. Anyway, I never, Lily just did not convince me that she was blind. There was too many times she reached for stuff that, like, the handle on the lemonade jug. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like, how? (laughs) No. And having a garage sale on the lanai. Now, I'm sorry. I'm not that. I mean, that's like me or us, and I would never do it. It's have a garage sale on my back porch, and all the customers are coming through the house to the back porch. Then when they leave, they're going through the house again. Um, I mean, it was the 80s, you know. I mean, and you got a garage right here. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean, I, I that, yeah, that was a bit strange, I but
1: I don't know. But, they anyway. pro- but
0: you know, they couldn't have actually shot it, you know, in, the in their driveway or anything.
1: Yeah, so anyway, the kitchen, there was the large island again, was there, that's kind of becoming a staple now. The table by the door. It actually has different books on it now than it did in the first episode that the table was there. Uh, for me, there's only one Sicily Italian reference made in this episode, and one girl was gonna move out. Rose was going to help her blind sister, Lily. She was thinking of moving out, but it was really never seriously thought of. So uh, that was all accounts I had for this episode. And my rating for this, I thought this was a tough subject, you know, about being blind and how you can handle it. Um, I gave this a 79 out of 100 for that episode.
0: Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Glide TV Recaps. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to subscribe to the show for more great content like this. And until the next episode, goodbye.